Welcome everybody to Socratica Reads. My name is Kimberly Hatch Harrison, and I'm the co-founder of Socratica. We make beautiful educational videos on a variety of STEM topics, math, science, computer programming, and underlying everything we do is this notion that we are natural learners. I don't mean just me personally, humans. Learning is our natural state of being. I really don't understand this idea that you get one shot at your education, mostly when you're a child, and that's it. I refuse. I refuse to accept that idea. So one way you can give yourself the chance to continue your education for the rest of your life is with reading. What freedom. You can read whatever you want, going as deep as you want. There is this tendency, of course, to gravitate to the familiar. You keep picking up the same kind of book, reading the same authors. I'm guilty of that. Well, maybe guilty is the wrong word. There's nothing wrong with continuing to read wonderful authors. I still have a few Charles Dickens left, and I haven't read all of Shakespeare, and I was absolutely delighted when a new book of Ray Bradbury's Collected Letters just came out. Have you ever read Letters or Marginalia from one of your favorite authors? It can really be a trip because you're used to seeing their professional polished work as opposed to their thoughts in progress, mid-process. It can feel a little like spying. Letters can be so intimate. I'm not finished with this book of Bradbury's letters yet. Um, it's called Remembrance, but I wanted to tell you about an experience I had, how by picking up this book, it led me to discover a whole new author, well, new to me, Charles Beaumont, who was a friend of Bradbury's. So I came across this name in Bradbury's letters, and it sounded so familiar, but I knew I had never read anything by someone named Charles Beaumont. So I looked him up, and it turned out I was used to seeing his name in the credits of Twilight Zone episodes. That's another great place to find authors, by the way, including Ray Bradbury and Richard Matheson. Before I read a passage to you, I'm going to pause to say there will be no further interruptions. No commercials from sponsors. That's because we are sponsored by the Socratica Foundation. And the Socratica Foundation is sponsored by you. The Socratica Foundation is an educational nonprofit dedicated to the three timeless pillars literacy, numeracy, and critical thinking. We have a literacy campaign to spread the best possible kind of infection, infectious affection, for reading. This includes reading lessons, book donations, and this podcast, Socratica Reads. You can learn more at socratica.org. So I got myself two books, two collections of stories by Charles Beaumont. In this first book, there's an introduction by Ray Bradbury. So we'll start there. This is kind of an old-fashioned idea. When you meet someone new, you should be introduced by a friend. Are you ready? Let's begin. Perchance to dream, forward. Beaumont remembered. The facts have been written before. In the summer of 1946, when I was 26, a 16-year-old boy bumped into me in Fowler Brothers Bookstore in downtown Los Angeles and began babbling about his Terry and the Pirates comic collection, plus Tarzan, plus Prince Valiant, 
Plus, who can remember now how many other truly amazing and life-enhancing subjects? It could only follow, out of such a passionate encounter, that a friendship developed, like those stop-motion films of flowers speeded up from seed to stem to full blossom in ten seconds flat, I invited Charles Beaumont, for that was the young man's name, over to gaze at my Buck Rogers Sunday color panels. He trotted along his somewhat dog-eared copies of Terry and his Irresistible Pirates, we made some trades, and moved on into a friendship that would last until his untimely death twenty years later. What followed over the years was joy in the sandbox, or if you prefer, tomorrow is New Year's, so what does that make today? A celebration. For Chuck, there were no cries of, thank God it's Friday. It was always the long weekend, as it was with me, when some new love occupied, hell, preoccupied, the senses, and delivered us forth to worlds where nothing else existed except our creatures and our architectures. Our friendship leaned half in and half out of cinema long shots, comic strip surrealistic close-ups, carnival magicians, old radio shows, and long-legging it to ancient bookstores for a hyperventilating snuff of book dust. If I'd allowed them, dogs might have followed me down the street. I didn't know where I was going, but it was sure great going there. Which is what dogs and budding writers are all about. Chuck was the same save the dogs did dance about him, and friends. Too many, perhaps. They used up his air. In the end, it might be true, he dispensed so much creative and conversational energy that there was none left over to fight any disease that chanced to dart in. But all that comes later. First, after a series of jobs, working for United Parcel Delivery Services, and finally in the music copying department at Universal Studios, Chuck showed up at my house one night in the early 50s with his first short story. He handed it over, his face flushed with excitement, and cried, It's good! Or, I think it is. I read the story, cried, Good hell, it's fine! I sent the story out to an editor. It's sold. Bombed into superactivity by the sale, Chuck wrote dozens more, hundreds more, over the years. I often use him as an example to other young writers. It does work. Writing, that is, a story a week for a year, three years, ten years. You can't help but get better every single week of every single year. Chuck got better. Better at what? He was, and remains in his work today, a writer of ideas, notions, fancies. You can tell his ideas to your friends in a few crisp lines. He is a storyteller who weaves his stories out of those ideas, some large, or you may claim predominantly small. No matter. At least the seeds are there, as they have rarely been since Poe got lost in the snow, Melville sank from view, shipwrecked on land, or Nathaniel Hawthorne invented a mechanical butterfly to be promptly destroyed. For remember... Those American writers of the 19th century were, one and all, idea folks. Slap their backs and they spat cosmic seeds. The years between 1830 and 1900 were brimful of metaphor, chock-full of nuts, fruits, and, if not sublime holy ghosts, at least headless horsemen ruining your midnight sleep, but delighting your tranquil noons. Charles Beaumont, if not equal, is at least heir to these even as most of us in the science-fantasy field have felt ourselves to be their lost sons. You can, in sum, remember Beaumont's ideas long after the stories slide away into yesterday. 
Compare this with trying to tell the ideas of Hemingway, Faulkner, or Steinbeck. In Faulkner's case, the metaphor, while present, is lost in place, time, and character, if not completely sunk in an endless timber cut of words. You cannot remember or describe Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath or his The Long Valley in terms of metaphor. What you warmly recall is well-rendered scene, blooded people. The Jodes may well be, and are indeed symbols for us on our way somewhere towards a future, every dawn, settling at dusk to dream it better than it happened three hours ago. But we rarely deep-think Steinbeck. We deep-feel him, and arrive at our thoughts later. So it is with Hemingway, and the mob of imitators who have flooded his wake since 1929. His metaphors are obvious, but the bullfight is too easily symbolic, as is the running of the Pamplona bulls, or the shooting of the white hunter in lost Africa. Again, we remember places, people, but none of Hemingway's characters go anywhere, even though they move. They do little to change time, or the architecture of anyone's future, even their own. They stand still while traveling, and die dumb, not knowing where they've been or how it all happened. Paco, who gets a kitchen knife in his belly in Hemingway's masterful The Capital of the World, represents them all. He sees his blood on the floor and wonders how it got there. Why him? Jules Verne's characters, more primitive, of course, nevertheless deliver idea talk. They live metaphor more grandly and uniquely. It is boy chat, yes, but Verne's metaphors span the globe and land us on the moon. Listen to Verne, he really moves your mind, heart, soul, body, and blood. Listen to Papa and you fire your gun at a sky where you think there are birds, but none exist. Verne's characters make things happen. If their blood falls on the ship's planking or the rocket's hull, they know the reason why and are not afraid to say it. Nemo is out to sink the world's armadas and thus sink war. He is the metaphor of peace, dreadfully personified. Beaumont, it follows, is closer kin to Verne and Hawthorne than he is to Hemingway or most of the writers who have come up through the 40s, 50s, and 60s to our time. Am I claiming that Charles Beaumont is the equal of or superior to those giants? No, I only say that while those large talents strode deeply, Beaumont gives better companionship. He's more fun, because he is the neglected thing in our present society, the idea writer. Now consider this. America is the idea culture of all time. Our fancies have fulfilled an industrial revolution, split the atom, delivered us to the moon, and promised us incredible futures stored and delivered forth by computers. Yet how ironic it is to prowl your local bookstore only to find the average novel hip-deep in dishwater and dull as soap suds. Among 100 bestsellers, hardly one with a ghost of a fancy, or half the spirit of a notion. Ideas, stillborn, everywhere. Here is where Beaumont, and many another science fiction writer today, takes over, even if at a minor level. Offer his stories to school kids, then watch them toss his notions at play. His metaphors are fresh, vivid, irresistible. Hand Hemingway's Spanish toreros or African cowards to most students, and they will be hard put to do their own variations. Same with the Jodes in their rickety ford, heading out of the dust into the sunset. Same with Faulkner's hound. 
Their stuff, great and beautiful as it is, cannot be hurled at students, hot after literature, seeking the right corn to drop in their heads to make the ideas pop. Idea is everything. So say most modern science fiction and fantasy writers, who stand as true avant-garde forces at the center of writing today. So says Beaumont. Ricochet one of his ideas around a classroom and crack a dozen variations within minutes. If you want children to read, Beaumont cries, for God's sake, bomb them with revelations. Give them a chance to join the author's game, feel smart, guess themselves into creation. The stories gathered here prove my point. Beaumont plays a game for himself, but invites you in. His stories are four-man basketball teams. You are the fifth player. Often you feel you've won the game yourself, because you write your own version of Beaumont's metaphor. Which is what makes him, finally, such fun. How can you resist a story like his The Beautiful People, in which we find a world where everyone has been made over to beauty, where all bodies are perfect, all faces cookie-stamped to handsome lovely? Then what happens? One revolutionary girl, one soul, stands up and refuses to be operated on, cookie-stamped, changed. Okay, class, in the next hour, write your own variation on that. Haven't we all, at one time or another, been more in love with a car than any girl who rode in the car with us? Read the classic affair, then remember yourselves. Write your own endings, happy or sad. Or how about a vampire complaining to his psychiatrist about the high cost of being a night stalker, financing a coffin, keeping his shirts clean, hating blood, being afraid of bats? Ready, class? Begin! Quickly now, idea after idea, story after story, a summation of metaphors. Write me a tale about when Mr. Death comes to visit, obviously in the guise of a cemetery plot salesman. Write me another about a man who invents a time machine so he can shuttle back and shoot his own father, thus causing his own suicide, or what? Imagine the most unusual and the most frightening baby monster you can possibly imagine. Make it grow. Call it Fritchen. Scare the hell out of yourself, and thus, scare the hell out of me. Every single one of these stories is the fox in the henyard, stirring up a cackle and flurry of ideas among the students fortunate enough to read and react to them. An aside here, Chuck and I lived in the same Los Angeles territory, where we both passed a cemetery which sported a hand-painted sign, Free Dirt. This intrigued me so much over the years that I jotted notes in a file folder and commenced a story based on the idea of Cemetery Earth. What would happen if you bought and used it? For what? Then Chuck showed up at the house one night with a story titled, you've guessed it, Free Dirt. <laughs> okay, so I'm next going to read you a little bit of Free Dirt. But um, Bradbury did, you know, a much better job than I could have to let you know how Beaumont is helping us love reading, is helping us find inspiration in reading. And this is one of the big points of Socratica Reads. This is why it's part of our literacy campaign. We want to introduce you to the writers who inspire us and inspire us to keep reading. This introduction goes on, but aren't you intrigued by this title? Now let's turn to Mr. Beaumont himself. Free Dirt. No fowl had ever looked so posthumous. Its bones lay stacked to one side of the plate like kindling, white, dry, and naked in the soft light of the restaurant. Bones only, with every shard and filament of meat stripped methodically off. Otherwise, the plate was a vast, glistening plain, 
The other smaller dishes and bowls were equally virginal. They shone fiercely against one another, and all a pale cream color fixed upon the snowy white of a tablecloth unstained by gravies and unspotted by coffee and free from the stigmata of breadcrumbs, cigarette ash, and fingernail lint. Only the dead fowl's bones and the stippled traceries of hardened red gelatin clinging timidly to the bottom of a dessert cup gave evidence that these ruins had once been a dinner. Mr. Aorta, not a small man, permitted a mild belch, folded the newspaper he had found on the chair, inspected his vest for food leavings, and then made his way briskly to the cashier. The old woman glanced at his check. Yes, sir, she said. All righty, Mr. Aorta said, and removed from his hip pocket a large black wallet. He opened it casually, whistling the seven joys of Mary through the space provided by his two front teeth. The melody stopped abruptly. Mr. Aorta looked concerned. He peered into his wallet, then began removing things. Presently, its entire contents were spread out. He frowned. What seems to be the difficulty, sir? Oh, no difficulty, the fat man said. Exactly. Though the wallet was manifestly empty, he flapped its sides apart, held it upside down, and continued to shake it, suggesting the picture of a hydrophobic bat suddenly seized in midair. Mr. Aorta smiled a weak, harassed smile, and proceeded to empty all of his fourteen separate pockets. In a time, the counter was piled high with miscellany. Well, he said impatiently, what nonsense! What bother! Do you know what's happened? My wife's gone off and forgotten to leave me any change. Hey-ho, well, my name is James Brocklehurst. I'm with the Pleofilm Corporation. I generally don't eat out, and here... No, I insist. This is embarrassing for you as well as for myself. I insist upon leaving my card. If you will retain it, I shall return tomorrow evening at this time and reimburse you. Mr. Aorta shoved the pasteboard into the cashier's hands, shook his head, shoveled the residue back into his pockets, and, plucking a toothpick from a box, left the restaurant. He was quite pleased with himself, an invariable reaction to the acquisition of something for nothing in return. It had all gone smoothly, and what a delightful meal! He strolled in the direction of the streetcar stop, casting the occasional licentious glances at undressed mannequins in department store windows. The prolonged fumbling for his car token worked as efficiently as ever. Get in the middle of the crowd, look bewildered, inconspicuous, search your pockets earnestly, the while edging from the vision of the conductor, then take a far seat and read a newspaper. In four years' traveling time, Mr. Aorta computed he had saved a total of $211.20. The electric's ancient list did not jar his warm feeling of serenity. He studied the amusements briefly, then went to work on the current puzzle, whose prize ran into the thousands. Thousands of dollars actually for nothing. Something for nothing. Mr. Aorta loved puzzles. But the fine print made reading impossible. Mr. Aorta glanced at the elderly woman standing near his seat. Then, because the woman's eyes were full of tired pleading and insinuation, he refocused out the wire crosshatch windows. What he saw caused his heart to throb. The section of town was one he passed every day, so it was a wonder he'd not noticed it before though generally there was little provocation to sightsee on what was irreverently called Death Row, a dreary round of mortuaries, columbariums, crematories, and the like, all crowded into a five-block area. He yanked the stop signal, hurried to the rear of the streetcar, and depressed the exit plate. In a few moments he had walked to what he'd seen. It was a sign, artlessly lettered, though spelled correctly enough. It was not new, for the white paint had swollen and cracked, 
and the rusted nails had dripped trails of dirty orange over the face of it. The sign read, Free Dirt. Apply Within. Lilyvale Cemetery. How physical and voluptuous are these descriptions of such a repulsive person? This helps me understand why I came to know Beaumont through The Twilight Zone, because that show was so good at poking into human frailties, character weaknesses, things that maybe would be ignored in polite society, but not when pushed into a Twilight Zone scenario, which is really my favorite kind of science fiction being able to see what happens to human beings if we leave our comfort zone and are exposed to this one new thing. A trip to outer space, an alien, time travel. They're interesting because of the truth about human beings and the human psyche they expose. If you want to chat more about our new friend, Charles Beaumont, or Ray Bradbury, or the power of creative friendships. Our Discord server is open to all of our YouTube channel members and our patrons from Patreon. You can join at patreon.com Socratica. Thanks for listening.